Now, I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. It's so truthful. And here we have a dark side to the Christmas story. This is the dark side of the Christmas story. It's about the man who tried to destroy Christmas. Herod, King Herod, was the first and original Scrooge because he literally tried to destroy Christmas. Now, you read this, if you read the whole Christmas account in Matthew chapter 2, it seems kind of odd that this terrible account would be tucked in between such an amazing miracle. You know, God has arrived in flesh form. God has wrapped himself in skin. And the incarnation has happened. And right in the middle of this incredible miracle, we're told of this terrible slaughter of the boys of Bethlehem. Now, you can be assured that if it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. The Holy Ghost put it there. So I've learned, even if something seems odd to me, it's there for a reason. Stay with it, and it'll open up to you. And so I want to point out some things that have just jumped at me uh, out of this story that are very, very relevant to us today. And here's the first one the sinfulness of the human heart. You cannot miss the sinfulness of the human heart exerting itself, inserting itself into this story in the form of Herod. Herod is the personification of sinful mankind. He is a standout for somebody who is really in the clutches of the devil. Now, let me give you a little history about Herod that will help illustrate this point. By the time Jesus was born, Herod the Great is very, very old. He's very tired, and he's very nearly dead. He's been in power for over 40 years because that's the way dictators do. They're not voted in and out. Dictators stay till they croak. And this is what Herod did. And we see over the 40-year span, he was a very clever but cruel man. And like all dictators and all despots, he kept a tight grip on his reign of power. And if he felt that anybody was threatening his power, he was ruthless in dealing with them, like all dictators are. Over the years, you see, Herod killed many people. Herod was a killer. Herod was a killer. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed his wife. He even killed two of his own sons by strangulation. Herod was a killer. Herod was dark. Herod was wicked. Caesar Augustus said of Herod, it's safer to be Herod's sow than to be his son. Now that's not a compliment. But you know what history lets us know? History lets us know that the murder of his wife drove him insane. See, he, he killed somebody that he really cared about deep down. He killed her because he thought she was threatening his power. Dictators are always paranoid. They're always thinking somebody's out to take away what they have. And somehow or another it came to him that his wife was up to something, so he had her killed. But he never got over it. He never got over the murder of his wife. He never got past it. And though... This happened when he was about 44, and though he lived to be 70, 
Her murder was the beginning of the end for him. It drove him mad. Be careful that you don't kill what you greatly need. So it's a fact that Herod the Great was a killer. That was his nature. He killed out of spite and he killed to stay in power. Human life meant nothing to King Herod. It never means anything to dictators. The great historian Josephus called him barbaric. Another writer dubbed him the the, uh, malevolent maniac, and yet another named him the great pervert. That's how he's gone down in history. He killed his wife, his mother-in-law, two of his sons, hundreds of others. Killing is what Herod did best. But here's the first lesson from this story. Herod is a perfect example of why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come because we were all righteous. He came because we were all sinners in need of a Savior. And Herod, being as wicked as he was and being inserted right into the middle of the Christmas story, it's like God is letting us see. You want to know why my son came? Look at Herod. And look at Herod, you look at the human race. Because the whole human race is in sin and in need of a Savior. We're not okay. The book that said, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, was not okay. It was a wrong book. We're not okay. You're not okay. I'm not okay. I need somebody to forgive my sin and set me free. And and so that's why he sent a Savior. The Bible testifies about you and me. It says, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and you and you and you, you, all of us. And when I point a finger at you, I've got four pointing back at me because we've all sinned and fall short. The Greek there is actually falling short. We're always falling short. All have sinned and are falling short daily of the glory of God. And there's none righteous, not one. You could search the whole wide world, every nation, city, town, And you would never find one righteous person in the eyes of God. Not one. Isaiah said, listen to to the all-inclusive words here. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. All, everyone, all. That leaves nobody out. Why did Jesus come? Why was he born as a baby? Why did God have to condescend and wrap himself in flesh and become one of us and feel our pain and live a righteous life and go to that rugged cross because we all needed a Savior. I need a Savior. I'm so thankful for the Savior. Herod may have been a killer, but we commit sins that are also heinous in heaven. Did you know that? The fact is, there's a monster in all of us if you turn it loose. Given the right situation, there is nothing in the catalog of sinful possibilities we cannot and will not do. We are in a fallen nature. We are blind to spiritual truth. We would never get up and seek God if the Holy Ghost did not come and convict us. We needed a Savior. And on that first Christmas morn, that's what we got. Jesus was born in Bethlehem to head evil off at the pass, to confront the devil and defeat him. The Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. 
Thank God. And to redeem. We needed somebody to redeem our stained souls from the consequences of sin. And we needed some way to get a new nature. And Jesus provided all of that. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why the angel told Joseph. He said, I want you to name him. I want you to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angel said to the shepherds, today in the town of David, a Savior is born, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. So Herod illustrates right off the bat why the Savior came, because we're all in sin and we need a Savior. And without his forgiveness, we're doomed. Amen? Are you thankful for the Savior? Give him a hand of praise today. (coughs) Amen. Now, the more I looked at this story, the more I thought, okay, then there's something else here, the protection of God's providence. The protection of God's providence is all over this Christmas account. Now, let me tell you what providence is. God's providence is that doctrine which teaches us that God is in control of every detail in the universe. Jesus said a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground, but what your heavenly Father knows it and sees it. Every hair on your head is numbered by God. He knows it all, sees it all. He never says, well, I'll be. He's never surprised. He never says, well, I didn't see that coming because he knew it was going to come before it even began. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end before the beginning even begins. He knows the end of everything because he's God. He doesn't inhabit time. He inhabits eternity. So when you are headed towards your future, he's already there waiting for you to arrive. He knows you. God's providence is all over the story of the baby Jesus. God's not only sovereign over the big picture, but the little picture, the small, tiny details of life. He knows about it, and in some mysterious way, he's in charge of it. And at the end of time, when history is done, we're going to look back and see that history was his story. Everything in the universe fits into his great master plan. Now, in order to see an example of this, uh, I want us to step back and kind of view what I read to you in its larger context. Let me show you the, the operation of God in history. Matthew 2, 12 through 23. Now, we stopped at verse 18 in what we were reading But if you read five verses more, what I'm about to share with you is included there. So it's in Matthew 2, 12 to 23. There are four dreams from God in those verses. Four separate dreams given by God. The first dream warns the magi, the wise men, to return home another way. And they dream this. And then the second dream warns Joseph and Mary to go to Egypt. As a matter of fact, three of the four dreams were warning dreams. The third dream tells them to return to Israel after Herod's death. You can go back now, Herod's dead. The one that wanted the child dead is dead. So old Herod, old wicked Herod died. And the fourth dream is another warning, the third warning. Not to go back to Bethlehem, but instead go to Nazareth. Four dreams. Now watch this. Three out of those four passages contain quotes from the Old Testament showing that these were Old Testament prophecies coming to pass. 
spoken centuries before. Now they're coming to pass like falling dominoes and the arrival of Jesus. The first one in verse 15 shows that our Lord's stay in Egypt fulfills Hosea 11 verse 1. Hosea speaking centuries before Jesus arrived. The second dream in verse 18 connects the weeping of the mothers of Bethlehem with Jeremiah's prophecy in 31 verse 15. The third dream in verse 23 fulfills Judges 13 verse 5 that tells us even the choice of a home in Nazareth was part of God's plan from the beginning that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So what looked like a detour was the fulfillment of prophecy. What looked like an imposition was God's will being executed. Sometimes we think, well, where's God? Because things aren't going the way I thought they would. Well, hello. Because sometimes the way you thought they would was not in God's master plan. See, he's going to work out his master plan. And, And if you start to go in anything less than the master plan, then God has a way of putting a detour in your path and saying, not there, son, not there, daughter. I'm taking you this way. And we get mad at God because it didn't go this way, but it's going this way now. And God is saying, if you only knew what I was saving you from, from letting you go that way, you would stop and have a praise session that I'm letting you go this way. How many of you have ever looked back on a detour and said, thank God he detoured me because if I'd have kept going, if I'd have kept going, oh, we'd be in a world of trouble right now if I'd have kept going. Because you've got a plan, but he invariably has a better plan. So what this shows me that even in the midst of, even in the midst of great heartache and trouble and danger and confusion and disillusionment, God's plan will be fulfilled. Herod did everything he could to kill the baby Jesus. I want you to think with me a minute of this night. Every mama, now there was no TV, there was no radio, there was no internet, no emails, no text messaging, no iPhones. Thank God, can take me back. <clears throat> there was only, you know, you would send out notices that were written. You would have carriers who would take people messages, but that's it. So every mother with a two-year-old son and under has a knock on the door that night from Roman soldiers. Is you, you got a boy in here? Is he two or under? Well, well, yes, why? Barge in, straight to his room, hold him up. Think of it, moms. Take him. Took his life. Rachel weeping for her children because they were not. Herod did everything he could. It was wicked. It was evil. It looked like the devil was in control and not God. He killed every baby he could find, but the one baby he really wanted to kill, he couldn't find because of protective providence. See, God's got his hand on you. You're you're God's. If the blood of Jesus has covered your life, there is a protective providence on you. Let me tell you something. You can't go until your time comes. You cannot go until your time comes. You say, well, I've almost gone. Yeah, but you're not gone. You're still here. Almost doesn't count. 
There is a protective providence on what God is on and what God has a plan for. And Herod did everything in his wicked power to stop God's plan. But the protective providence stepped in and said, nope, you can go this far, but no further. God's got his hand on you. And that's why you, some of you should be dead by now. But you're not dead yet. You know why? Because he's not done with you yet. <laughs> he's not finished with you yet. Now, you might be thinking, I know what some of you moms were thinking. Well, great, Jeff, it's great that Jesus was delivered, but what about all those other mothers? What about those poor mothers who lost their boys in that nightmare that night? What about all those Bethlehem boys? Where was God for them? Why didn't God warn those mothers? I know the way an atheist would think, because I talked to them. And they would take something like this, and they would say, see, if your God is so good, why didn't he step in and save the other ones? Why didn't he step up and tell everybody, get out of town because Herod's gone nuts and he's going to try to kill your children? Why didn't he just save Jesus? Can I be honest with you? In part, I can't answer that because I don't fully understand everything that God does. I've got a file in my mind marked things I don't understand, and it gets thicker with time. But that doesn't take my faith away. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. So if my own understanding can't make sense of it, I trust God with all of my heart. Because let me tell you something, friend. There's a lot of things in life walking with God you're not going to understand. You better get the same file I've got. And file it away and just know that when he comes, you will know as you have been known. And all those questions are going to be answered. But in the meantime, my file does not make me doubt God. All I can tell you, I can tell you two things for certain. God always has a bigger plan than we can see from where we sit. Trust me on that one. He has a bigger plan than you can see from where you sit. And second, I do know this. He preserved his son that day so that on another day, his son could die on the cross for the sins of the world. He, 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 he preserved him that day for another day. And because he had another day for him to die, he couldn't die on that day. That I know. The boys of Bethlehem died now. The baby Jesus would grow up and die later. Jesus had to escape this time so he would not escape, not escape, not escape the next time. One writer put it this way, Jesus escaped the first time so that he wouldn't escape the second time, so that we could escape for all time. Man. Well, that is good stuff. <clears throat> That's so good, I'm going to say it again. That needs to be a refrigerator sticker. Jesus escaped the first time, so that he would not escape the second time, so that we would escape for all time. Man. That's the truth. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad he escaped the first time 
And aren't you glad he didn't escape the second time? And aren't you glad that you're saved for all time? Because he didn't escape the second time. Now, this, this truth would have been little comfort to the mothers of that time, that day. If you had gone up to one of those moms and said, you know, let me just tell you what I think, and you'd said something like this, it would not have helped her at all because she didn't understand. See, there's things, folks, you do not understand right now. And you need to be okay with that. There's things you don't understand right now. You're not supposed to. If you could understand it all, you'd be God. And you're not. I checked. <laughs> but, but here's the deal. <clears throat> if you had gone to those moms that night, they would have said, I do not understand. They couldn't even be consoled. Jeremiah told us that. One week later, if you'd gone to them, it wouldn't have made sense. If you'd gone to them a year later, there would have been no explanation. If you had gone 10 years later, it still would not have made sense to these moms. Do you get it? But run the clock forward. About 33 years, and suddenly things come into focus. Because outside the walls of Jerusalem, a man is dying on a cross. He's the baby Herod couldn't get. And his hands are stretched out and nailed. His feet are nailed. His legs are bent. He's grabbing every breath he can. Blood is running down from his hands and running down from his feet and running down from his back. He is being mocked and ridiculed by the crowd. He's your savior hanging on that tree. He's come for this moment, this time, this second to die there. This is the whole reason for Christmas because there your sins are being washed away. There the devil is being defanged and disarmed. <clears throat> there all the world is being potentially covered by his blood. You must turn to him, but if you turn to him, your, your sin is forgiven. And when he breathed his last, no one ever had to do it again. He was the final lamb, the only lamb, the ultimate lamb, the last lamb. He died once for all. He died for all, for the whole human race. And your destiny and your eternity are wrapped up in him on that tree. And what I'm trying to show you is that Herod couldn't get him because it wasn't his time, but now it's his time. And now, before nothing could kill him, now you can't keep him from being killed because it's his time. It's God's eternal plan unfolding. Nobody in Bethlehem understood the gravity of what was taking place. Or in Jerusalem, because that's where he was right now, Jerusalem. In the end, he died too. Just like those children. If he had died in Bethlehem, he could not have died on Calvary. And so the providence of God kept him alive. There is protective providence. So the Christmas story spans two emotional extremes. 
Mary rejoicing and Rachel weeping. Christmas joy, Christmas tears. All wrapped up together by the hand of God. We need a Savior so God's providence protected him as a baby. Now, finally, if Christmas teaches us anything, it is that God always wins in the end. I'm going to say it again. He always wins in the end. (laughs) He always wins in the end. Because you know what Bethlehem really was? It was not, oh, a little bitty baby born in Bethlehem. Oh, isn't that sweet? Let's play a violin and sing some songs about him. Little bitty baby. Some people never get him past that little bitty baby in Bethlehem. That's all they know about Christmas. Little baby in a little cradle and in a manger. And... <laughs> oh, little town of Bethlehem. They don't know what was going on. What was really happening was God had launched a counteroffensive against the devil. He was, he was invading planet Earth. He was being sent to defeat evil, to undo the works of Satan and to redeem us from the clutches of hell. It all started, listen to this, isn't this amazing? It all started with a tiny baby boy named Jesus born in a scandalous way, in a barn to an unmarried couple. I'm going to say that again, an unmarried couple. who were homeless and alone. That's how God invaded the world. The world had no idea what was happening that night. The world was clueless what was happening that night when Jesus' cry first split the darkness. Only in retrospect do we understand. The same is true of the slaughter of the infants, the innocents, the boys of Bethlehem. In a way, they died so Jesus could live. And years later, Jesus would die so they could live. But in the end, God won because God always wins. Always. Now I want to close with a thought. Herod knew about Jesus and tried to kill him. The wise men knew about Jesus and worshipped him. Now listen. If just knowing about him is enough to get you into heaven, Herod would be in heaven. See, some people that go to church think, well, I know about him, so I'm okay. No, you don't have to. It's more than knowing about him. It's knowing him. There's a big difference between knowing about him and knowing him. Listen carefully to me. Now, I'm not here to judge you. I was saved in a jail as a 16-year-old. I heard this gospel. I'm not pointing a finger at you. I love you. I'm not here to judge you or put you down. I do want to bring something to your attention. And here it is. If just knowing about him is enough, Herod would be in heaven. Hitler would be in heaven. It's not enough just to know about him. The wise men knew about him, followed the star, sought him, found him, got on their knees and worshipped him, and left as saved astronomers. Okay? So here's my question to you. Are you with Herod or are you with the wise men? Are you with Herod or are you with the wise men? Here's what I mean by that. You just know about him and you think that's enough? You think coming to church is enough to get you into heaven? No, no. Jesus said you have to be born again. You have to be or you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
The wise men were saved. Herod died soon hereafter, and he went straight to a devil's hell. That's the testimony of the Bible. Where are you today? I want to encourage you to come and bow down before the Lord Jesus and invite him into your heart. That's Christmas. Can we stand together?